It's phone booth fighting. He is the two-time UFC heavyweight champion, Frank Mir. I'm Richard Hunter. We do this now twice weekly, folks. Every Tuesday and Friday, we post up a new episode for you guys, and sometimes a mini-episode along the way. Frank, it uh, it was a busy week uh, this past week of podcasting for us. You know, if anybody, for whatever reason, was checked out this last week, They've got some podcasts to catch up on. We should we should recap this before we get into uh, the results of uh, UFC Fight Night McDonald versus Thompson and one whale of a story I've got to tell you from the brothel today. That's what's on tap for you a little bit later on. But uh, just a just a quick recap from this last week because first of all we're back here on the back porch at Stately Mirror Manor once again in suburban Las Vegas on a lovely Monday evening. Does it seem to you for some reason like it's been a while since we've been back here? We did this a week ago. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. For some reason, it just kind of feels that way uh, that way to me. We actually turned out quite a bit of content last week, but um, it I guess it's kind of a testament to our, uh, our expanding creativity in terms of the way that we're trying to present the show. And uh, we've got some good feedback about that this week. A lot of people are kind of excited about some of the more creative things we're trying. So, for example, uh, we did our standard show that uploaded last Tuesday. And then on, uh, I guess, Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, we uploaded a mini episode. This was your idea, the phone booth fighting phone call. And the way this is going to work, we tried one last week. Everybody check it out. Let us know what you think. It's just a little quick 20, 25-minute episode. But, Frank, your idea was 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 what in terms well, of a mini-episode? Basically, so many times, that's how I kind of <laughs> – you and I discuss what's going on in the, in the world. Uh, some breaking news might hit regardless. You know, it could be uh, a lot of the time something fight-related – Sometimes not so much. It could be, uh, you know, something, you know, the Orlando type uh, shooting that happened. Uh, and so you'll give me a call and be like, hey, man, yeah. <laughs> did you hear? Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking we have, uh, you know, first we really only had a lag of every, you know, once a week type of show. And I know now we've stepped up and uh, are doing it biweekly. But still, you know, there's... Not biweekly. Or, twice a week. No, twice a week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so... um there's those gaps in time when information comes out and it might be two or three days before you and I get to sit down and discuss it for our fans to be able to hear our breakdown of what's going on. So I thought, well, why don't we make people privy to how we really do it? Uh-huh. Uh, a phone call and a, a, a hey man. <laughs> Guess what's happening? And so that's when we break things down. So I asked you, how hard would it be for you just to plug our phone into the uh, recorder? Mm-hmm. Could you make this to where these phone calls that you and I are having to break down, you know, inform each other what's happening and keep up? And we take time to discuss something. And a lot of times it's a 15 minute phone call 
But how interesting would that be for people to be let in and, and get to hear us having that discussion? So basically, it's your opportunity to eavesdrop on at least one phone call that Frank and I have, uh, per, one, one of the phone calls that Frank and I have uh, every week. And people seem to dig the first one because uh, we actually had a little bit of uh, the, the, the story that was really gathering a lot of steam about Dan Henderson rematching against Michael Bisping, maybe for the middleweight title as his last fight before he retires, win or lose, getting a title shot. That was starting to gather a little bit of steam toward the middle of the week, and that was not something that had come up on Monday's show. And we were able to get to it midweek before we had to wait for uh, the episode that we were going to roll out Friday. So it all it all worked out great. So we're going we're gonna to keep doing those. Keep letting us know what you think. You can send your feedback to the Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page. That's a great place to... Uh, send us messages and, and let us know what you think about what we're doing. And uh, and we'll, we'll keep doing them. I don't know if it will be every single week. I think it'll probably be more weeks than not, just because that tends to be the, the, the nature of the conversation between the two of us well, and certainly the nature of the I like MMA it because we don't have to force it. Yeah. It isn't like uh, we're looking to, you know, make a phone call and talk to each other. We're, we're typical guys. Yeah. Hey, if nothing's happening there's nothing to inform each other about why are we going to be on the phone uh, right. just to gab away and just shoot the the breeze we both are pretty busy guys uh with our our, our ladies and our my kids uh, mm-hmm. your dogs my brothel <laughs> and so if there's nothing really coming up they're not warranted for a phone call i yeah. still know you're my friend even if you didn't call me on saturday and sunday oh, that's right <laughs> but uh i think it really affords us that flexibility that something breaking hits something big yeah instead of us having to wait till a well you know let's save it for you know thursday night or friday night or whenever we're going to get together and tape for that episode we can go ahead and have some kind of intermittent you know uh, input on what's going on and, and fill our fans and what we think about the topic and break the news and and break it down it doesn't have to be in depth but we save that for the big shows when we can go ahead and be a little bit more long-winded about it. So we'll keep doing those mini episodes for you guys. Now, the other thing that came up this week was our first ever swap cast. And that is an episode that uploaded over the weekend with comedian Bert Kreischer. Bert is the host of Bert the Conqueror on the Travel Channel, uh, which you see each and every week. Very funny guy. When Frank and I were in L.A. a couple of weeks ago, he had us over to his house and uh, we did a swap cast, meaning that we, the three of us taped an episode together we uploaded it. Uh, Bert uploaded it to uh, his listeners. I think yesterday is uh, basically a Father's Day edition of of uh, his show, which gets us a lot of new fans from from his side. Turns a lot of um, our listeners on to uh, what he's about as well. So so check that out. So it was a very eclectic week of podcasting yeah, for us. It seems to be our mo. That's yeah, right. And one other note on Bert Kreischer, if uh, you're not readily. Uh, knowledgeable who the guy is all you got to do is type in brett kreischer and, and his his whole stand-up when he discussed his uh his uh stint with a bear yeah. because of some of his uh in the past one of the shows that he was working on where he very adventurous go out there you know skydiving or you know in this case he was doing a bear training uh stint where he went out there with a stunt bear and uh i made the mistake of listening to it while i was driving <laughs> And it almost cost me uh, a new car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At one point, I really felt like I, I need to pull over so I can catch my breath. This is hilarious. He is a very, very funny guy. And, uh, you know, one other note about the Swapcast we did with Burt Kreischer, which is posted now at phoneboothfighting.com or in iTunes or uh, on Stitcher Radio, is, um, you know, we ended up talking about... Uh, my dog Mel that was rescued from Michael Vick's dogfighting ring. And, and obviously that 
at its core is a, a, a very painfully sensitive topic for me, given that, you know, what Mel still goes through at this point in his life all these years later, and Frank sees it, Mel comes over here with me every week, and just how, how traumatized he he still is. But it, it is an important thing for us to be able to to, to talk about, spread the word about, and, and uh, we, we started talking about the, the documentary that's on Netflix right now about Mel and some of the other dogs that were rescued from Michael Vick called The Champions, and so we started talking about it, and you'll understand what I mean after you listen to this episode with Burt Kreischer, the Swapcast. But first of all, uh, you know, he had me, I mean, crying laughing at just some of the absurdity. We were, we were obviously talking about a very tough issue, but when he really got into breaking down, like, you know, really vilifying Vic as he should be in this situation, but just what this must be like for him to, uh, you know, have, uh, have, have somebody, uh, like me hot on a trail because of what he did. Uh, one that was entertaining. And then, then, but two, I'll tell you, Frank, I don't know if you saw this or not, but Bert posted, uh, when he posted the, uh, episode on his uh, social media yesterday, he actually tweeted, Michael Vick, and the tweet said, uh, "Hey, Mike, you ought to. Uh, you'd probably be interested. You ought to tune in about an hour into this uh, into this podcast. You should go ahead and check it out. It's it's really good for a laugh." And then uh, posted the link to it. So uh, anyway, that's a great ability that comedians such as yourself uh, have is to be able to take topics and be able to discuss it. Because you know some topics are awkward to talk about. Yeah, but uh, if you can. Add a little laughter, a little humor, put a twist on it. It allows the conversation to flow and to, to really breach those uh, subjects that uh, at times can be taboo and uncomfortable. And if you can laugh while we're talking about it, we're still discussing things. You're still enlightening and sharing information, which only increases people's awareness. And that's a, a huge first step in any avenue in life is to first be aware of things and if you can put that comedic spin on it to make it easier i think that's such a, a much more comfortable delivery it's like sometimes medicine can be awful but you know you put a little peanut butter on the pill or you know whatever the case that's an interesting way to put it yeah no that's true kept it along the lines of the dogs no you know? <laughs> no it's true and you know i actually for the longest time i struggled about how how could I present that in my stand-up act, that topic? Because it was something I thought it was important. It was something I wanted to talk about. I wanted to tell people, hey, I adopted this dog. Here's what he goes through. Here's what I, this is how sinister I think Michael Vick is. But none of that is inherently funny. It's quite the opposite. Well, it's all tragic. I would think you would have a hard time doing that. I mean, you're a very talented individual and you can be an entertainer and go up there. But... None of my dogs have ever suffered at the hands yeah. of Michael Vick. Now, I have empathy for animals that have suffered and for people that are the owners of those animals, but it's not a hit home issue. Yeah. You know, it is. I, I, I definitely am appalled by the information that you gave me and knowing what you've told me. It, it definitely, it renaissance uh, inside me. But at the same time, I don't think I'm going to have that knee jerk anger that you're going to have. Because yeah. I only get to see Mel usually once a week. You know, he comes over. I see him inside the kennel. I see that he doesn't bark. He doesn't move. He just, the poor guy has been traumatized. And even though it's been years since he was exposed to uh, that lifestyle, and I know how great of a life he has now, I can see that, man, this is a dog that if he was a human, we would label him as handicapped. Yes. He is handicapped. Special needs. For That's the rest of his existence. Right. Absolutely. You know? 
and you know Bert I think is the same category as I am where it's he's a human being that of intelligence that can look and go wow this is an awful thing that another person could do this but it's not his animal you know yeah. you have now I think too much of an attachment too much of a personal uh, you know role in the thing that I don't know if you could let that go on stage and not you know I think they would bleed through your stand up mm -hmm. the hatred that you have for the abuse that some humans are capable of because you live with it on a daily basis now well I, I finally found it uh, I mean for, for years I really thought about the best way to present it because I, I didn't want the opportunity to be wasted you know comedy can be educational i mean it can make a point everybody's laughing but you can leave with uh a message or a lingering thought or or some educational value in it and and i finally found that a couple of years ago and started talking about it um on stage and it's interesting because when i started in the setup, when I say I adopted a dog that was, you know, rescued from Michael Vick, people think that's a joke. I mean, when they first hear it, if I just say nothing more than that, they laugh because they think, oh, okay, this is going somewhere. Yeah, he's making that up yeah. because now he's going to say, and then, you know, the, the punchline. And then once they realize I'm serious about it, then it gets serious. But then I've got to figure out a way to make it okay for people to laugh. Not about what happened to the dogs at all, but basically uh, to make Michael Vick the the buffoon. And and that's without doing my material on the podcast. Sorry, folks, you'll have to come see a show. Uh, and it, it's not just because I want to sell you a ticket. It, honestly, one of the biggest pitfalls comedians can fall into is if they try to do their material like on a radio show or a talk show or something like that. It just is not translating the same way. Maybe we'll play some sometime yeah, uh, here on the show. I'll play a clip from, from the stage. But, um, but I did finally find a way to do it. And I was really glad that I did because I saw that the crowd got it, you know, and, and the other thing is too, it was an opportunity. Now I'll hear from so many people who, uh, you know, will, will say that, that, you know, they, they heard the story or now they're seeing the, the champions documentary. One of the coolest things we're getting these days, I know you're seeing it on your Twitter too, but, but all uh, you and me and the phone booth fighting social media is, uh, people are, you know, tweeting me, Hey, I checked out the champions documentary. It's fantastic. And then they'll just attach a picture of their dog. And I'm like, I love that, you know, cause it's like, it just goes to show you, it's like, that that's kind of just in in a in a picture it sums up everybody's attachment to it you know well and again i think most people um have a nurturing uh nature yeah uh, we have animals we have pets you have your children i think it's a very human like you know animals possess it too i don't know if i want to call it human but very much part of the average nature of most humans is that when somebody you know we take care of things you know mm -hmm. whether it's house plants pets your children uh your loved ones um we don't really do harm on creatures and so when you see somebody like a michael vick who can not only harm animals enthusiastically and then harm his children psychologically uh, by harming their animals. By harming yep. their animals. Yeah. It's like, I think that everybody can relate on all levels that that's a pretty appalling uh, human being. And uh, like you said, though, the fact of using comedy to uh, 
enlighten people. I think it's a phenomenal tool because I, I think back to when I was a young kid and staying up late during the summer times and watching, uh, I think it was HBO, uh, George Carlin came yeah. on, had a stand up. And that might've been the first time I was really exposed to people having contrary thoughts on organized religion. And not that uh, that was where I ended at, but it definitely sparked my thought process at a very young age going, huh, you're right. That does sound stupid. Mm -hmm. Wow. That doesn't sound right. That doesn't, you know, feel like that isn't a good fit. So it definitely set the first domino in motion for me to go out and grab other books and discovered what critical thinking was and try to actually uh, break down thoughts that I just took for granted that I thought were my own. They were actually just me repeating uh, different actions that I just was taught by my parents who were just repeating different thoughts and ideas that were just given to them by their parents. And I was able to step outside and I can attribute that to being a kid watching George Carlin stand up when my parents probably wouldn't have allowed me at that time and age to be watching that. But that's what happens. You fall asleep sooner than your kids do <laughs> <laughs> and have access to the cable box. <laughs> George Carlin is my all time favorite comedian. And Carlin on religion, to me, is the greatest uh, marriage of comedian to subject matter that's ever existed. I think he's just a genius at it. And the other amazing thing about Carlin is he got better as he got older. So oftentimes, and it's not just comedy, it's, it's fighting, it's acting, it's musicians. Yeah. How many times do we say, oh gosh, you know, that, that guy at one time was great, but you in know, his he, heyday. yeah, he got rich, he got famous. Now he's just kind of mailing it in. Very rarely can you say that a guy pretty much right up until the time he died at an, at a, you know, an old age. I say that about Adam Sandler movies. Yeah. When's the last time you saw one that you were happy about? I know. Right, Adam yeah. Sandler. When I was a kid, growing yeah. up, Happy Gilmore, yeah. uh, Billy Madison. Uh, these movies, I couldn't wait till I had my kids to be like, "Look, okay, you're old enough now. Yeah, maybe still don't tell mom yet, but we're <laughs> this is funny. Yeah, you know? that's a good point. And so, uh, and now there's so many times that still I go and do the movies when he has. Uh, I'm like, man, how many times am I going to get there and keep yeah. chasing this guy down? Yeah, he, this guy's phoning it in, man. Carlin wouldn't like that. I saw him twice live, and uh, last time I saw him was just within a few months after he died, and just still two of the best uh, stand-up performances uh, I've ever seen. Uh, let's talk some fights here, and then I'm gonna t I'm gonna blow your mind with a brothel story. I experienced something today that I can honestly say. I mean, as as traumatic. I was say, hurry up and give context to that because you just said brothel and experienced. <laughs> yes, as as let's say as traumatic uh, in, in a memorable sense as the Lamar Odom situation was. This was memorable just in a bizarre sense. A set of circumstances that I never thought I would possibly see as a result of my day now, job they, at a Nevada so brothel. Because at that brothel. Weird and strange has to be commonplace. So I can only, I can't imagine. You're going to love what it. What you're about to tell me that sticks out of all the other countless stories of weird and yeah. just. You're going to love it. And if you're thinking to yourself, damn it, he's, he's teasing this so that I won't uh, stop the podcast 
early, you know, I'll go ahead and put my earbuds in and carry it into work with me and sit at my desk and listen to whatever the story is. Well, you're absolutely right. That is exactly what I'm doing. I'm teasing you to uh, to uh, the last segment of the podcast. All right, let's talk about UFC Fight Night. McDonald versus Thompson. Good night of fights this past Saturday night up in Ottawa, Canada. And we'll just uh, work from the top down here, talk about the main developments uh, as a result of the card. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson outpoints Rory McDonald via unanimous decision over five rounds, 50-45, 50-45, and 48-47 on the judges' scorecards. I had this 50-45 as well. I gave every round to Stephen Thompson. I don't get where anybody got 48-47 on this. I mean, you could maybe make the case that Rory McDonald got one round. It was not a particularly... Uh, it, it was a chess match of a fight, and I appreciate those, so I was entertained by watching it. But in the classic sense, it was not a barn burner. This was not Rory McDonald versus Robbie Lawler Part 2 by any means. It was, uh, it was Rory McDonald seeming to be frustrated and confused by Stephen Thompson's style, which, you know, hey, join the club. That's what's happening with everybody in Stephen Thompson. Stephen Thompson with the uh, karate, the the kickboxing uh, style of just being able to move, dart in and out, uh, strike, back out, stay at a kicking distance. Uh, McDonald was really not able to have much success pressing him. There were a couple of times that McDonald seemed like he was starting to get a little bit better at getting uh, McDonald backed up against the cage, but he just didn't stay there very long, and uh, the, the outcome to me wrong. was very clear. I think that I called this fight that I uh, 10 out of 10, I would have bet on uh, Rory McDonald just because of the stylistic matchups. I felt that Rory is a very good striker, uh, you know, very athletic too, and you've seen that he has a, a wide range of kicks also mm -hmm. uh, definitely more of a you know the traditional full contact kickboxing style more of the muay thai the roundhouses you don't see a lot of the the same sidekick or you know hook kicks that uh wonder boy uses but i really felt that especially with george kind of his mentor uh, training partner uh, that type of prototype is using the striking to engage in a takedown it would have been much more smooth but it really looked forced every time he tried to drop for a single or try to force uh, thompson to the cage um, it looked like he was completely out of his rhythm and uh, it wasn't an exciting fight to watch but you're right um, Wonderboy Thompson did a great strategic number as far as able to keep the fight at his range and never allowed him to, to be uh, dominated and, and taken down. And I w didn't expect that. I really thought that eventually, I mean, for 25 minutes, uh, one of the times he's going to make a mistake, especially some of the kicks that he throws, something's going to slip, fall. Uh, Rory has a very good uh, takedown, uh, a good double, good single, that he's eventually going to get the uh, secure takedown with his striking. It's not like uh, because of his uh, proficiency as a striker, it wouldn't have been forced. It could have been done in transition, but the in and out range of uh, Thompson just proved too much for uh, Rory to figure out, and, and in 25 minutes, he never came up with an answer. After the fight, Stephen Thompson called for a title shot. He'd like to face the winner of Robbie Lawler and Tyron Woodley, and I would certainly believe that he's going to get that title shot, especially with Roy McDonald now, you know, uh, Roy McDonald not only defeated Saturday night, but that was the last fight on his contract. He's now ready to test free agency, and I guess his asking price might have been more if he were coming off of a win and a possible 
title shot uh, on the line that uh, that might have changed the equation of the discussion with the UFC. I still would imagine that he would uh, stay with the UFC, but uh, if uh, if Bellator still in the uh, in the habit of opening up their checkbook, you could do a lot worse than uh, a, a guy like uh, Roy McDonald, who's still so young. I mean, he may be still a few years away from his prime. As hard as it would be to consider Rory McDonald a quote-unquote project, I mean, I guess that's not the right way to put it, but he's an investment in the sense that if you sign, if Bellator signed the Rory McDonald of today in a year or two, he'd probably be better than he is even now. I agree with you 100%. I think that he's still improving. Uh, He's still getting better. That's one of the upsides, really, of uh, Rory McDonald. And uh, this was a fight, really, that I can't take too much away from him. I think it's not so much that he did a bad job. I just think that uh, Stephen Thompson did a phenomenal job. He was really able to use his in-and-out and footwork and kicks to keep Roy McDonald uh, in a situation in a range where he just wasn't able to ever be effective and ever really get anything going. I was impressed. In fact, the fact that he fought like that um, – I don't think that Roy McDonald possesses that much better of a takedown. I mean, we're really going to be, you know, uh, wondering about the differences. But uh, as far as how Robbie Lawler fights, if that were to be his uh, opponent, I think that Wonderboy Thompson can go ahead and, and maybe put on the same clinic of just throwing the kicks, going in and out, striking, scoring points, and uh, never sitting down in the pocket and engaging with uh, – uh, Robbie, where Robbie shows a lot of strength. I mean, Robbie's a great brawler, uh, very smart boxer puncher type that, uh, you know, you sit down and want to exchange with him. That's where he uh, does best. But even in his fight with Roy McDonald, Roy was probably outpointing him as far as striking was going. It's just that the power shots of when uh, uh, Robbie would land were devastating. Um, you know, he was able to actually pull off a win in that fifth round against Roy McDonald by crushing his eye socket with a straight left hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't look like he might be able to do that with, I mean, obviously at any point anybody can land a shot. But as far as what uh, Stephen Thompson showcased his skills and his stand-up and the type of stand-up he does, it makes it hard for anybody to really crack him, to really get down and bite down on their mouthpiece and try to exchange with him because that's not the fight he's looking for. He really looks for that in-and-out score points and move. If Stephen Thompson gets the winner of Robbie Lawler and Tyron Woodley, who do you think he's facing? Who do you like in that fight, Lawler or Woodley? Uh, it's funny. I think stylistically, I think that uh, – Lawler probably has a great chance of winning the fight against Woodley. Yeah. But I think if I had to pick which one I think probably has a better chance of beating um, uh, Stephen Thompson, I, I think Woodley has a, a very quick, sharp double and very mm-hmm. powerful hands. I think that really right now you're seeing somebody is really going to have to really want to engage and put him down. Mm-hmm. I think trying to exchange with him on the outside, it's like a Machida style. That being said, I, I right now if I had to pick somebody that yeah. would uh, – or a style to try to beat Thompson, I'd be like, well, we got to get a hold of him. Yeah. Let's put him down. Let's break him down. Let's wear him down. Let's grind him. For, you know, Even in being in his guard, we don't necessarily even have to pass his guard. Stay in the guard, beat him up a little bit. Let's uh, chasing this guy around while he's throwing these kicks. He obviously can do it for five rounds. He's not going to get tired. He's not going to get fatigued. He has great economy of motion on his toes, moving in and out. Um, you're going to have to uh, make it ugly, grind down on this guy. Um, catching him on the outside doesn't look like a high percentage game plan 
Uh, Rory McDonald was not able to put him down. Uh, in the past, I've, Robbie Lawler's not known as the guy that really puts people down. Mm -hmm. Great defensive wrestler. Uh, and the guy's a state champion out of Iowa, so he can wrestle, but he uses wrestling to kind of keep the fight in that brawling range where he likes it. Uh, if Robbie fights uh, Thompson, unless he changes something up, I can really see a fight where we see the champ chasing him around, never really fully being able to corner him, and uh, Stephen Thompson just picking him apart with kicks and coming out with a five-round decision. So in terms of a wrestler being able to give Wonderboy Thompson trouble, in terms of all of the welterweight wrestling pedigrees, the champion Lawler, uh, McDonald, Tyron Woodley, even Johnny Hendricks, who Wonderboy recently defeated, you like Tyron Woodley's pure wrestling approach as being the best shot at being the most aggressive to try I to do. get him down I and think hold he has probably the most offensive wrestling yeah. style of the guys that we've mentioned. Even uh, Hendricks, I think that uh, Johnny's fallen in love with the ability to knock people out. He has a hell of a left hand. Uh, we don't really see him put people down. Uh, he does, but his takedowns are much more efficient as far as stopping the grappling yeah he kind of keeps people from being able to take him out of the element he's great in the clinch has a heavy uh hang on the head with his uh his necktie but you really see him use his wrestling from oklahoma to stop other guys from taking him out of his element so he can keep that fight keep you in range to land that big bomb of a left hand that he has which is a, a hugely powerful uh, you know it's a massive weapon that he uh, possesses but um, as far as who has probably the cleanest double out of everybody there to get a hold of uh, Stephen Thompson's legs and put him down, I would have to look at all the, the four or five guys that you just mentioned, and I would say, well, Woodley probably has the athleticism and the ability to shoot from the outside. Because it's not that he wants to start a shot from the outside, but after he does a combination, that shot that he thinks is going to be on the inside, um, the way that Thompson fights is going to be an outside shot. Even if he starts it and engages it in boxing range, the minute Thompson throws a combo, he's going to bounce back out. You have to have the uh, distance on your shot to get a good bite on uh, Thompson. If not, you're going to have a very – he makes it look like you're taking bad shots. Is really what he did against Roy McDonald. Mm. Roy looked like he was forcing shots because by the time he – Changed levels, engaged. I'm, um, you know, the the, the uh, whatever triggers he had to engage that shot. By the time that occurred, Thompson's already moving out of range, and so now it looks like a drawn out type of grab, and and that's what made it look poor and hard to get a hold of. You're either gonna have to catch him with a shot when he's coming in, or you're going to have to make sure that when you do change levels and shoot, you're going for uh, distance. So Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, uh, in all likelihood, has a title shot against the winner of Lawler and Woodley. We just talked about the the top five or so fighters in the UFC's welterweight division. Throw Damian Maya in there too, by the way. Uh, but this news today—I uh, don't know if you saw this or not, Frank George St. Pierre officially told Ariel Hawani on his podcast that he's ready to come back. He's having his management notify the UFC that he is ready to return, George St. Pierre. That's great. I mean, the guy was very active for a long time, top of the uh, the food chain. He had uh, many title defenses, um, the whole uh, welterweight uh, weight class. He had uh, the top ten guys in that division sleeping at night thinking about him. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of pressure uh, on somebody to be consistent over such a period of time. 
looks like he needed some time off to regroup and uh, regroup and find himself. And um, now that he has, I'm glad to hear that he's coming back. I think that uh, he poses a threat at the welterweight division. The guy uh, is a record holder. I mean, the guy is uh, a phenomenal fighter. Uh, I would be very interested to see him fight a Wonderboy Thompson because he probably has the best double, best takedowns and timing in the welterweight division. Hasn't been that long since he's been out, but it seems like forever ago. It's amazing how fast the world of mixed martial arts moves. Uh, speaking of welterweights, let's talk about this co-main event uh, this past Saturday night in Ottawa, Canada. Donald Cowboy Cerrone dominated Patrick Cote, uh, eventually finishing him via TKO about uh, two and a half minutes into the third round. But Cerrone, um, I, I was amazed at how dominant he, he was in this fight, not only in terms of his jiu-jitsu. Uh, there, there was a moment, you know, he, you always look for uh, Cerrone and the familiar body triangle because of his long legs. If he can uh, get, his, uh, yep. get his hooks in, he locks in that body triangle. He got uh, Patrick Cote's uh, back at one point and was hand-fighting for a rear naked choke. I thought that might be the end of it. We would see Cerrone submit Patrick Cote. That in and of itself would have been a very impressive feat. But when we talked about this fight on paper, you know, I said, oh, okay, well, this is uh, Cerrone's uh, kicks and his jiu-jitsu against Patrick Cote's heavy hands. And one thing he doesn't want to do is stand and trade with Cote because Cote can knock him out. Guess what? I mean, he, at moments in that fight, stood and traded with him and got the better of Patrick Cote and dropped him a couple yeah. of times. Cerrone looks great at welterweight. I was nervous about the fight, especially uh, I was down there in uh, Florida when he fought for the title and uh, I was hoping that he was be able to uh, pull off the victory and secure a UFC belt. And fighting, Donald uh, Cerrone, you're talking Donald about. Donald Cerrone yep. when he was fighting uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. Yep. And I seen Rafael, the power in his hands and the speed that it, it, it caught. Uh, one shot was able to rock uh, Cerrone and he backed him up and was able to uh, not let him off the hook. And I'm thinking, all right, if Rafael hits hard, then Cote has to hit harder. Yeah. And so that's this is a guy who's fought as heavy as light heavyweight. Yeah. Cote is known as a very powerful puncher. And Rafael is a phenomenal fighter. I don't think that, uh, you know, not that he's not a powerful puncher, but that's not the first thing I think that comes to most people's minds is, oh, the guy has one punch knockout power. Cote does. Yeah. And so that fight really, it had me on edge and very nervous. I knew that skill wise, as far as pure ability, uh, Cerrone had an edge. But that all goes out the window when you're fighting a power puncher. He can land one shot and hurt you. And Cerrone was able to use his uh, abilities and his technique and his angles to really just, and sometimes just bite down on his mouthpiece and fight in the pocket in ways that I wouldn't have thought was uh, the right way to go. But he obviously uh, knows better than I and uh, did a great job. Damn, Cerrone looked so good. And Does you he know, ever not look good except for in the title fights? Yeah, it gets left-handers. I mean, we we're talking about yeah. that, about how he'll have trouble against left-handers. But, you know, the interesting thing about this this place that he's in right now in his career, having moved up to welterweight and done what he's done, I mean, not only uh, submitting Charles Oliveira in the first round in his welterweight debut, but now this against Patrick Cote, is he's got options at welterweight. I mean, you're talking about a guy now who you, you might want to think about offering a top 10 welterweight uh, opponent to. I mean, all of a sudden, Cerrone, who still is, he's number four or five in the UFC's lightweight rankings. I mean, it's not like losing to Rafael Dos Anjos dropped him that far. All of a sudden, uh, you know, he's a potential 
top ten welterweight contender, and uh, I, I think he's got uh, he's got a couple of options uh, there. And just like that, I guess hard work pays off, uh, and and fighting frequently pays off because Donald Cowboy Cerrone is a two division legitimate uh, contender, and uh, you know typical Cowboy Cerrone. He collects a fifty thousand uh, dollar performance bonus. He's asked in the octagon who he would like to fight, when he'd like to fight again, and he says, "Well, UFC two hundred's looking pretty good. I could do that. That's three weeks away. How awesome is that? I yeah, mean, this guy, that I mean, is Cowboy Cerrone right there." You know, it's a great thing that he has. Uh, he's just really a hard worker and uh, goes out there. Not only is he talented, but has so many fights and he's willing to fight at any time. And I think that uh, especially nowadays age with some of the fighters who managers protect them and, and pick the right fights and give them the right situations and try to, which is their job, put people in the, the best position to go out there and do the most for their career. Yeah, uh, I think fans really just love a guy that you know loves to fight. And Donald Cerrone, you know, the cowboy really uh, personifies that. He's willing to fight anywhere, anytime, any place. Uh, short notice, anybody. Uh, the guy has just uh, been unbelievable in that sort. And not only, you know, people can say they're willing to do that, you know, and just, ah, you know, throw caution to the wind, let me just jump in there. But he does it and he succeeds. Mm-hmm. And he's able to persevere and come through and win, and not just win, but win dominantly against a lot of guys. Uh, and so what an impressive uh, career he's having. You nailed it. It's the thing about Cerrone is – when he steps in and, you know, he'll take these short notice fights, he wants to fight as frequently as possible, what have you. He's probably the guy who does that the most often, but there are others who will do it and, and credit goes to them. But a lot of times when we see somebody take that short notice fight and it shows, what do we say after the fight? We go, well, you know what? You, props to him for stepping up. I mean, he may not have given much of a fight tonight, but he only had two weeks preparation or whatever, but you just hit it. When Cerrone does it not only is he willing to take him on short notice he makes it look like that was the fight he was preparing for all along he doesn't it doesn't look like he wasn't the original guy in there now, he has great mental fortitude. Yeah. Uh, it takes a certain mindset to be able to just flip the switch and turn it on and turn it off like he's able to do. A lot of guys need a camp, not only just on a physical preparation, but also mentally to get into the mode that, yes, I'm about to walk in there. Uh, for guys to be able to just jump in there and have that mindset, walk in there and game plan and, 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 and execute on short notice, uh, so much of that's in your head. It's between your ears. Are you able to go ahead and step up to the plate? Mm-hmm. And he's able to. Uh, every time um, so far you know like I said the only time we've really seen him drop fights is the whole left-handed thing or really you know with the WC and the UFC it's in the title fights we haven't seen him come over that hump but let's face it when you're fighting for a title you're fighting the best guy in that weight class Cerrone had some interesting comments about money after the fight at the post-fight press conference and this isn't something you hear Cerrone talk a lot about not particularly I mean you'll hear him talk about he wants bonus money you'll hear him talk about he likes to spend money he's going to go out and buy himself a new jet ski or what have you but you don't often hear him speak in a serious manner about the amount of money that he does or doesn't make now this bonus that he collected was a record 17th fight night bonus um, but he had this to say about his finances. Quote, the bonuses all sound nice, but according to my pay, I don't mean expletive to the UFC. He said, uh, but we'll see. 
I'm going to talk to Dana after this and figure that out. Interesting. Haven't really heard Cowboy Cerrone voice that concern before. Well, you know, in the past, the UFC's really done a great job of uh, the fighters we wrote really don't talk to each other about what we make. We were talking about that with Burt Kreischer. Uh, just this past Sunday yes. on the Swapcast about because he was saying that that he's gotten into the habit of he and other comedians will talk to each other about what they make to benefit each other that it's against uh, you know tradition or the the old school rules or whatever and you brought that up that that's the mm-hmm. same way with fighters but you think it benefits fighters think so to talk about what they make uh, you know silent bidding doesn't really uh, help out the bidders yeah <laughs> helps out whoever's selling. Uh, and so as the fighters, we go in there, I don't know what anybody else is making. It makes it harder to make your case and know what you're asking for uh, number-wise. But now, uh, you, know, you know, obviously they've always uh, published what we make uh, on paper as far as uh, with the commission. Yeah. But, you know, we're aware of the bonuses and, and, and other incentives that come along the way that are in our contract aren't usually uh, public knowledge. And so now you're seeing fighters, you know, going out there and, you know, Conor uh, McGregor making the uh, the Forbes, uh, you know, uh, top paid athletes. Uh, I think it was, what, number 85 or yep. something? Um, $22 million in, in one year. I think now it's starting to hit, you know, guys like Cerrone going, wait a minute. You know, I'm a draw. I, I have people coming in. How much more is he selling than I am? Why am I making such a smaller percentage? And so the UFC is going to be stuck in a situation where the higher they pay certain guys, the other people that are also deserving of those higher paychecks are going to start coming and knocking. Uh, I, I think so, too. And I think that, you know, if there's anybody that the UFC would be willing to or or would be crazy not to uh, take care of or somebody that how could you how much money would you have to get to the point of paying Donald Cerrone before you would say we're paying him more money than he's worth my guess is there's a lot of room to work with there given how much the guy fights the performances he puts on how dynamic he is and how like you said he is the anybody any place anytime guy yeah, I don't ever put in a uh a type of pay scale where it's weird. You you have one guy that can main event and he's going to make, let's say a couple hundred grand. Mm -hmm. You have other guys at main event and they could make in the seven figures. Whereas it's like, well, you know, if they start establishing shows going, all right, you're a main event fighter. This is what our main events get paid. Co-main event gets paid X Mm -hmm. main card gets paid X. If we sell 500,000, you know, buys, this is what all of you guys are going to make. Uh, we sell over this amount. This is what you make. Um, I think it would be. I think fighters would uh, be more relatable to that. Going well, if I'm there on the main card, why am I making so much less than my opponent? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm not deserving of being here, then why am I even here in the first place? I wonder if they could also implement acceleration clauses to reward frequency of fights. You already get that with the Reebok deal. Uh, I mean, you know, you're you're at the top of the Reebok pay structure because you've been in the UFC for so long. Uh, Cerrone is up there with you. He hasn't been in the organization nearly as long, but he's fought so frequently. He's basically caught up to you in terms of, of number of fights. And it seems like that could be an interesting thing to experiment with is to put in there that, you know, hey, if you fight more than three times a year, all your numbers are going to accelerate by 
15%, 20%, something like that, you know, so that if there is that fight that you're on the fence about, oh gosh, I'm being offered this fight on short notice. I don't know. I didn't have a full camp or uh, I'm not feeling my best. I don't know if I should take this fight or not. If there's an incentive to it, if you could look at it and say, actually, that's going to be my third fight of the year and it's only July, which means if I take one more, that's in effect going to be, uh, you know, an incremental raise toward the end of the year. I wonder if there's not something yeah, to be had there. That and also too being more open about what they're selling. Yeah. Uh, if the UFC goes in there and a guy comes in, I guess he'd be very reasonable to sit there and go, well, when you're on a card, you average X amount of pay-per-view buys. Obviously, yeah. different fighters on the card are going to be positioned in different places, and um, it's going to change things. But I think they can get kind of a, an algorithm of what you're actually worth. So when they look at people and sit there and go, well, what, if you're on the card, we know that you're going to increase our buys by 50000 and this is worth this X amount of number. I think then it's hard for fighters to argue. You sit there and go, well, um, if people are purchasing the product. This is what I'm worth. You know, if you have a car that sells out, you're going to be able to sell that car for a lot more than something that sits on the lot for a year. Supply and demand. I just can't say enough good stuff about what I saw out of Cerrone Saturday night. I mean, I'm a fan of his anyway. But I think also what I liked about it, just to, to, to put a bow on that fight, is that, you know, a lot of times, Frank, when you see a guy – Really doesn't matter who it is, but but you know a guy uh, Hinn and Burrell recently comes to mind. You know a guy who's highly regarded, top of the heap. Uh, you know in the pound for pound argument, whatever. Uh, get kind of beaten out of a division. I mean, not only lose a fight, but lose it in a way where they're moving up or down in a weight class just because you think they may just be trying to hit the reset button because of the way that fight worked out. And the way that Cerrone had such a terrible night and a brief night against Rafael Dos Anjos, you could have easily thought that, you know, that, oh, okay, well, he's kind of up there at welterweight trying to rediscover himself or something like that. He doesn't look that way at all. All of a sudden, it's like he just was like, well, I, I'll just go kick ass up here. You know, and then let me know when you need me at lightweight again, and I'll, I'll entertain that well, that's idea. That's one thing I really love about the guy. Talk about mental toughness to bounce yeah. back. You go out there and you have a first-round defeat, uh, you know, just get ran over. I mean, I was there. Donald's my friend, and I, I mean, I felt like shit after watching that fight. Yeah. I was very disappointed and upset with the outcome. Um, you know, it happens. Uh, but that's exactly what he was able to do. He goes, ah, it happens. I got caught with a shot and got rocked. Uh, you know, one of the shots of the body really hurt him. And Rafael jumped on him and was able to uh, finish the fight. He didn't sulk about it. He jumped right back on his horse and went out there and competed. And didn't just compete to go out there and erase the last memory and just get through it and get a fight under his belt. He goes out there with great killer instinct. He goes out there and uh, moves up and, and is being devastating. Uh, his fight with uh, Patrick Cote, I was scared. I'm not yeah. going to ever lie. We talk on the phone, what'd you think? I'm like, man, I was nervous. Mm -hmm. That dude hits hard. You, you fight at 55. That guy's fought at 85. That guy fights at 205. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was worried, you know? And so for you to go out there and be that dominant and go out there and crush somebody who's a power fighter like Patrick Cote, I can't say enough about it. Like I said, what mental fortitude to bounce back 
and taste because when you go out there and get destroyed in a fight uh it really brings into it kills your confidence and as a fighter confidence is a ton it gives you that uh ability to look past uh situations and and overcome odds and to just persevere and push forward when your confidence gets crushed um it's hard to build it back up because it's kind of a you know catch 22 or you know double-bladed sword you know double-edged sword because to get that confidence you have to be successful and to be successful you got to have that confidence so to be out there and just you know bite down and go forward again that's that's huge that's something that i think uh, transcends even fighting you go out there and you have a bad day at work you go out there and do a presentation to your boss yeah you leave there five minutes in it to get clowned but you still strap up the next day and you show up and you come out there and take no prisoners see and i think that's what makes people love him you you just said it the you know 99.99999 percent of the people that watch Donald Cowboy Cerrone fight will never know themselves what it's like to be in the actual fight in the actual octagon but they've all had that day they've all had the 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 proverbial title shot the presentation at work where there was so much riding on it and for whatever reason not only did it not go well it went terrible it was just one of the worst days that they can remember and the toughest thing to be able to do is to rebound from that and they look at that guy who on national television does it and then comes back and has a night uh, like that like going out in the bar you imagine you know, a lot of young guys can relate to this one mm-hmm. you go up to a girl you buy her a drink you start talking to her she turns around and laughs at you yeah thinks it's incredible that you even think you're in her league to even yeah. give it a shot your friends look over they laugh at how bad you get shot down it's <laughs> it's epic the uh, crash uh-huh. and burn yeah and you turn around and walk off, and not only do you do that, but then you move up to a hotter girl, and you just shake it off, and you go off, and you're like, I'm going home with her. Yeah. I got a great story about that. My friend Ty, he, he won't mind if I tell this, I don't think. He, uh, I was with him one night, and he's a guy who we're, we're the same age, but whereas I have always remained uh, looking completely unemployable, he's like generic uh, white businessman look. You know what I mean? He, he, he looks like he's got something going on for himself, you know? And he does. He's like Mr. Corporate Guy. So I'm out with him. And he's got his uh, corporate expense account for the night, you know, and so the, the, the cocktail waitress is cute and, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's feeling pretty confident and he knows he's going to be able to leave a nice fat tip on the expense account or whatever. And so uh, when she comes back, brings the check at the end of the night, he says to her, uh, hey, you know, I uh, enjoyed talking to you tonight. You know, if you ever think, uh, I don't know, maybe you'd like to go out and have some dinner or something like that, catch a movie, love to do that with you. And she goes, uh, well, thank you. You know, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for the offer. But but I, I know, thank you. Thanks, but no thanks, you know. But she was polite about it. And he goes, uh, oh, he goes, uh, guess you, you, you got, a, got a boyfriend. And she goes, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> just don't want to go out with you. Ow. Do you even say anything as his buddy? I think I was just, I'd wait till she left, but I maybe let it, you know, simmer a little bit. But man, the ribbing I would give him the next day. I was like, that was one question too many. You know, yeah. he asked. Better leave I the, mean, he, yeah. Yeah, he didn't yeah. leave it alone. <laughs> Ow. How about her honesty? Uh, no, nah, I'm completely single. Yeah, she didn't decide just to. Uh, not interested. Ease that at all. <laughs> There's no Vaseline that came uh, that statement. I tell you what, back to Cowboy for a second. You know, he's got a new podcast from the BMF Ranch. I think he's just a couple of episodes into his podcast. I think that needs to be our next swap cast. 
I think we need to get together with him, help him push his new podcast. Love to have him on ours. Uh, I've always had great interviews with him. I know you guys are friends, and uh, that would just be a natural fit for us. I think uh, we should either get him out here, or maybe we should go visit him at the BMF Ranch, or both, or I don't know. We should figure that out. But next time you talk to him, mention it to him. I'll send him a text. Yeah, and you guys check out his his podcast. It's uh, Cowboy Cerrone uh, live from the BMF Ranch. And uh, honorable mention here, I mean, uh, this may not have had the contender's marquee name value that the uh, main and co-main events did that we were talking about but the light heavyweight war between Steve Bosse and Sean O'Connell the former hockey enforcer versus the sports talk radio host this thing was the best just just pure fight just pure rock'em sock'em slugfest I have seen and I don't know when I mean maybe a couple of years i mean it's up there if if there's if there's a couple other fights that i can think of uh this one's right there in contention with uh, a bunch of names that are way more famous than these two guys but what a perfect matchup for three rounds a unanimous decision goes steve Bosse's way 29 28 29 28 and 29 27. The 29-27 was the only score I really had a problem with because I thought if anybody scored a 10-8 round, it was Sean O'Connell on Basse in the first round. I didn't think I didn't see a 10-8 round in there. I'll tell you this: I had the fight a draw. I actually thought that um, it uh, could have been scored a draw, and it was just down to it was one of those fights too, Frank, where it's like down to the last minute, this thing's up for grabs. Down to the last 30 seconds, this thing's up to for grabs 10 9 8 like right you know that's how you can tell one of these fights when it's you need to see the last second of that fight because one big bomb either way in the last second of the fight in my mind would have scored it for the guy who landed the punch you know what i'm talking about Absolutely. those kind of moments those kind of fights I think the ufc's here because of that kind yeah of fight. if you think about the first time uh forrest griffin, griffin bonner uh, won yep you're right I think sometimes in fighting, uh, you know, we think there's a statement that's used a lot, you know, styles make fights. And I think people think that only pertains to certain guys will win against certain styles. Yeah. And, you know, you'll have a lot of, you know, mixing up of back and forth, you know, between three different guys that, you know, not one clear cut winner because of the stylistic matchups. Yeah. But I think for entertainment value, too, sometimes styles can make fights. Sometimes, you know, the more efficient technique uh could be a little bit less than fan favorable you have some of the fights you know like a machida or some of the better grapplers are able to you know lock people down and really just uh uh be efficient about really taking their guy out of the uh element but string on to win decisions but not necessarily knock out or submit people can sometimes bore fans so you see guys of uh, lower ability but make for more exciting fights uh sometimes you can see that in boxing i mean probably of date the most exciting uh, or most technical boxer is probably Floyd Mayweather if you yeah. break down the common you know thought process people can soon go wow yeah the guy really defensive genius knows how to move but when you talk about just pure, uh, pure uh, fan favorable bouts to watch, you bring up you know Gotti and Ward, uh, you know uh, their epic battles. All three of them were something that really uh, uh, caught people's attention and really was 
phenomenal to watch. I think that their fights very uh, easily could be considered much more exciting to watch than some of uh, Floyd's fights. No doubt. Floyd is a much uh, you know more efficient and strategic boxer and you saw that even when he fought andre uh, ward uh, himself the two matched up the fight they had was nowhere near as exciting as the fight Gotti, you know or excuse me uh, uh arturo Gotti and, and uh, floyd mickey, mayweather yeah. was not as exciting oh, as Gotti mm-hmm. versus uh mickey ward no in any of the three of them you're right they they were better fights and even even fighters who and a lot of times people will say okay well you know Gotti and Ward were never champions but uh you know their styles just matched up well I I would say that any of the the mixes and matches between uh one of the guys that was always one of my favorites Marco Antonio Barrera Eric Morales Juan Manuel Marquez Manny Pacquiao those four yeah. Those four in their heyday, mix and match them any kind of way you want. And uh, wars. Guys yeah. getting dropped down, getting yeah. back off the canvas, dropping their opponent. It was back and forth, and it was uh, brutal. Yeah. Made it for very exciting. Sometimes uh, what we consider the more technical aspect of fighting, you, know, you see guys out there and, and display. And in itself, it's a very beautiful thing to watch. But to the some of the more uh, common fans – it's not exciting mm-hmm. you know, they sit there and go wow uh, and even if you are into watching technical fights you can't argue that seeing two guys really just throw caution to the wind and try to go after each other is not something that's fun to watch well Basse and o'connell both got fight of the night bonuses as well very well deserved and i'll tell you something else i really liked about this fight that just uh really put a put a punctuation mark on it is about 10 seconds left to go in the uh in the third round both these guys standing in front of each other and there was this moment where they just double high-fived each other like both hands up in the air high-five and I know sometimes we talk you know you'll hear people say I don't like it when that happens or I don't like it when there's too much friendly stuff going on in a fight but that moment to me said exactly what I was saying a minute ago it was affirmation that this thing is totally up for grabs so we've we've heard the sticks you know clap 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 we've got you know 10 seconds or so left let's try to figure out a winner in this thing you know it was just kind of that moment of like all right high five 10 seconds left on the table it's anybody's fight let's stand and trade here we go and it was just oh it was like it could not have been scripted any better and uh the 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 only shame of it was that there there had to be a loser in that fight because to me there kind of aren't any uh losers in a in a fight like that but nonetheless it went uh way but hey that's a fight that um you know, I, I I would be surprised if we don't see those two guys uh, rematch again. You know, maybe in a uh, fight night co-main event type setting. I mean, that's what you you mentioned Gotti Ward. I mean, you know, what did Gotti Ward one give us? A whole lot of anticipation for Gotti Ward two, and nobody was particularly excited about Gotti Ward one. It's not like there were title implications no. on the line or anything like that, but everybody after that first one damn sure wanted to see uh, the second I, I don't part. think a lot of people knew about the first. Like, I, I don't think there was a lot of fans that were clamoring for the first fight. Yeah. They even knew what was going on. Uh, Mickey Ward, at that time, I didn't know who he was. Yeah. It wasn't until the fights with Arturo Gotti mm-hmm. that Mickey Ward became a name that I was able to recognize. Uh, and so the second and third fight, especially by the time the third fight came around, there was so much anticipation for that bout uh, that 
it really uh, it brought a lot of hype onto it because of the merit of their abilities inside the uh, the, the arena of their fight itself. It wasn't uh, so much about what they were doing on who was going to go on for title contingency, but what their uh, what kind of fireworks were sent off when they went at it. And I think that's why you're right. I think we can really see this uh, being a rematch we see in the future. Speaking of Arturo Gatti. Your wife, Jennifer, is pretty crafty. Do you think on her <laughs> best day she could successfully strangle you with her purse strap? No, I, that is one of the weirdest times. I, I remember I think I was out of town because I was in a hotel room mm-hmm. when the uh, the, the uh, news prompted up. You know, I, I saw a little ticker at the bottom talking about a Turo Gotti found dead in Brazil, I believe it was. Yeah, I think that was right, uh, yeah. And uh, I just remember like kind of sitting up in bed and going, what the hell? Mm-hmm. You know, and grabbing the phone. At the time, there wasn't a lot of information. And then, when it was, you know, as the days progressed, reading about just the kind of uh, the oddity of such a great fighter and how his life ended in such, uh, even now, it's not really something I understand. <laughs> I don't think anybody really does, really. Uh, what a weird way, uh, you know, to, to finish out, like, Talk about uh, just a strange set of circumstances. Three wars with Mickey Ward, and in the end, you're done in by a Prada handbag. You just never know. Yeah. You just never know. That was weird. Are you ready for a story? I am. I'm Are you ready for a good now, story? The cage is out here. Do I need to send him inside? Oh. You know, the good news is this uh, story will be preserved for posterity in perpetuity at phoneboothfighting.com. So when he's a little older. When he he's old back. enough. I imagine it being the sort of thing that I can hand down to him. You know, uh, uh, you know, your, your your Uncle Richard comes to you and he says, you know what, I think it's time. Go to phoneboothfighting.com, dial all the way back to uh, episode, uh, what are we up to, 38 or so, and uh, enjoy. But uh, for now, perhaps, what do I know? I don't know. I don't have any kids. I don't, I don't know what the kids know these days. Uh, I'll give you a minute to consider it while we hear this word from B-Bald. Hair is so overrated. Sure, at first it grows, but eventually it goes. B-Bald Man Care products have quickly risen to the top of the leaderboard when it comes to skin care for men without. Search the web for bald products and discover what your bald brethren already know. B-Bald products are the single source skin care solution for both your head and face. Listen to what our customers are saying. The B-Bald products are terrific. I'm not entirely bald, but I still use them on my head and my face, and they last an incredibly long time. My wife loves the scent. She said she'd follow it anywhere. I love the scent of the cleanser. I bought it for my boyfriend, and he liked it so much, I bought all the other B-Bald products, too. Thanks, B-Bald. You rock. Go to bbald.com right now to receive an additional 20% off just for trying us. Type in coupon code BBALD at checkout. That's B-E-E-B-A-L-D. This offer is only for a limited time. Go to bbald.com. That's B-E-E-B-A-L-D.com now. All right. A brothel story that is going to blow your mind. Ripped from the day's Southern Nevada headlines, Frank. Uh, This was my day today. Now, many of you know, because we've talked about it a lot here on Phone Booth Fighting, which, of course, you can uh, subscribe to in iTunes or uh, via Stitcher Radio. And uh, if you go to the iTunes page, please give us a five-star rating. Click on those five stars. We really appreciate it. It keeps us at the top of the iTunes rankings. And if you have a moment, uh, write us a favorable review. We love to read those five-star ratings here on the air. But uh, as many of you know who are uh, longtime subscribers to the Phone Booth Fighting podcast, 
My day job is at one of Southern Nevada's legal brothels. And uh, that's right, prostitution is legal in certain rural counties in Nevada. Nye County, which is uh, one that's just uh, across the county line from Clark County, where Las Vegas is here, is one of them. And uh, so by day, I am uh, regulating order at the brothel. And uh, Frank and all our mutual friends just love it when I show up with a with a tail from the desert. All your married friends. <laughs> Boy, do I have one for you today. Okay. So I get notice that uh, I have been summoned to small claims court in Beatty, Nevada. Now, Beatty is, I think Beatty is in still in Nye County. I think that's right. But it's uh, it's even a little further outside of Las Vegas and a little further north than um Crystal and Armagosa Valley are, which are the places, the two places that have our two southern brothels that I go back and forth between working at both of them. So Beatty is actually probably about another 20 minutes north. So this is the better part of two hours away from my house. If I were to go door to door from my uh, home near you here uh, in uh, suburban Las Vegas to the steps of the Beatty Courthouse, it's, it's you know, an hour and a half, but, but probably closer to two hours. I'm summoned there today because we are being taken to small claims court by Arthur Long. Arthur is upset because he feels like he was not given the services that he was promised uh, about a month or so ago when he was at uh, one of our Southern Nevada brothels. Let me read you. Uh, let me read you his complaint Please letter do. just to kind of set the table, and then I'll tell you about my day in small claims court. All right. So this letter was addressed uh, April fourth. So I guess the the incident in hand actually goes back to uh, March. 17th is when he was uh, St. Patrick's Day, isn't that March 17th, I think, uh, when he was uh, actually at our establishment. Okay, so he uh, writes a letter to our owner, Dennis Hoff, uh, his complaint. He says, uh, dear uh, Mr. Hoff, I am, and since this is a registered letter, by the way, I am one of your customers. I am claiming a refund of $500. Reason for indebtedness. On March 17, 2006, I was at your Death Valley Alien Cat House. The one called Heather Cummings showed me around, and then we agreed to a straight lay for $500. Now, he, the one called Heather Cummings, he means that was the legal prostitute's name, Heather Cummings. Not her real name, by the way, Frank, in case you were wondering. Uh, and we agreed to a straight lay for $500. Now, straight lay means just kind of standard missionary sex, no frills, no bells, no whistles. But let me tell you, $500 is a good deal for this. I mean, it's not like he was being uh, charged the moon for this no, sexual I mean, encounter. Uh, you go to a strip club and you run a VIP booth for a girl. Yep. $400, and that's not counting the alcohol or bottle you have to buy. And the sex that you're probably not having. Yeah, that yeah. most likely that legally and uh, yeah. you're not going to get. Right. Um, yeah, that is a good deal. All right, so uh, he continues. We went to the office where Dawn, the shift manager, used the electronic card machine and gave me a receipt. I think he means the credit card machine. So he puts 500 bucks on his credit card and gets a receipt. 
Heather and I went back to her room, and I began kissing and engaging in foreplay with her. He did what? He began kissing and her? foreplay. Yeah, and foreplay with a with prostitute. Her, with her, yes. Uh, he's apparently a, a romantic. He has issues. But uh, she stopped me and said, "Quote, that's different." Meaning that's a different type of arrangement if you want to get into doing that kind of stuff. Uh, but offered to relinquish to my wishes for $900. So now she's offering to upsell him. to say. And by the way, this is the point where I'm out. So wait okay? a minute. So basically you have to pay more to do foreplay and to give him kisses? <laughs> well... Yeah. I think I would have to pay more to not have to do that type of stuff. <laughs> well, I <laughs> What think, kind of guy is this? Yeah. Well, I think it depends, uh, Frank, on uh, the guy, and I think it also depends on the girl. I will tell you that for most girls uh, <clears throat> who are in this line of work, the more intimacy that is involved, the more it's going to run you. All right? Now, I this is the reason I would be checked out at this point, because... I can't get past the fact that essentially what a woman is saying to me is that having to bring myself to touch you, let alone kiss you, is grossing me out so much that I'm going to have to charge you even more than we already ran your credit card for. Like, at this point, my self-esteem is, is, is in the cellar. You know, I'm like, okay, I'll just, I'll just leave. I'm sorry. I mean, is he kissing him on the mouth? Uh, yeah, I'm sure he would uh, like to. And some of the girls will do that. They call that the girlfriend experience. Uh, there um, are men that'll pay to kiss a prostitute on the mouth. Oh, you look just as surprised as the day I explained to you what a cuckold was. I didn't know you, you didn't know this, Frank. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's a premium. I mean, that. that Shut up. Yeah, that costs more money if uh, uh, you want to do that. I guess I'm probably more of a typical male. Mm hmm. Kissing, Where's that mouth been? Is that what you're worried well, about? That and kissing and foreplay is yeah. something I do so that my wife is going to allow me to go ahead and have, I guess, straight sex. Yeah. Yeah. This <laughs> is just delay. like being married, right? Yeah. It's like, well, well, this is the prerequisite to warm you up to, yeah. to, you know, to show that I'm not just thinking of you as a piece of meat. Well, I guess that's why they call it uh, the girlfriend experience. But this, this, his troubles are only beginning. All right. So uh, she agrees to relinquish to my wishes for $900. I negotiate it down to $800. She agreed, and we went to Dawn again, the shift manager at the cashier's window, and she charged and gave me a receipt for $300. Okay, so now he's up to $800, bucks, right? The first $500, and then the $300 additional he had to pay. He so already had the sex for $500. Yeah. He paid $300 more for foreplay? Yep. Man, I need to have a talk with this guy. Yeah. Now he now keep in mind nothing has happened yet, but he realizes he's not going to be getting any kissing for uh, a mere five hundred bucks. Okay. So does he, he not know what that mouth is used for? <laughs> <laughs> well, he uh, apparently it was important to him. He's a he's he's a he's an old romantic, I guess. <laughs> so they get back to the room. Now he's run his credit card for a total of eight hundred bucks. Right. Okay. His letter continues. His complaint letter. Now, as I began to attempt to kiss Heather's breasts, she places her hands over her breasts to block and interfere with my attempts. When I attempt to do the straight lay, she rolls over onto her stomach and turns her back to me. 
So I said, quote, hey, if you don't want to do this, just say so. She made excuses such as, quote, you're holding me down, which is BS for a missionary position. So I go out to Dawn, the shift manager, and say, I want my money back. She said she will talk to Heather, and I can wait in the room. Dawn comes to the room and tells me everything is okay, Heather will do. But Heather comes in and said she drank some beer and went into the bathroom for 10 minutes, killing the clock. Killing the clock. Now... Now you got the now you got the the girl running the clock down on you. I mean, if this isn't, I've already heard enough. I would be I would have excused myself at this point. Uh, uh, then he says, uh, when she came out, she started uh, using the vibrator. Sorry, I didn't want to say that too loud. Your back door is open, and I'm not speaking euphemistically. Uh, she started. Uh, uh, using the vibrator on herself <laughs> again i said to her if you don't want to do this just say so she made excuses so i asked dawn for my money back dawn called shauna the general manager later dawn handed me her phone so shauna and i talked shauna authorized dawn to refund three hundred dollars for now and stated that she would need to talk to her boss about refunding the additional 500 that was on march 24th he his last contact with her she said she was still waiting to hear about the 500 dollars refund as of the date of this letter he has not gotten the refund and he is threatening to take legal action in small claims court uh, within 15 days if he has not refunded his full amount so let me fast forward to small claims court today i gotta let you know i'm kind of on the guy's side right now okay all right well let me uh that's interesting so uh I mean, let me uh you paid money to have sex no mm -hmm. sex give it back the okay. money well let me tell you the uh the case that i litigated today because you haven't heard all the evidence no no me. i was just letting you know i'm weighing in on where i'm at I understand now. i understand you just you haven't heard so all the where evidence. my brain right. is right, right. now right because uh, I uh, talked to uh, the girl in question, Ms. Heather Cummings, and she told me at the time that this wasn't the problem at all. That the problem was that the guy was telling her that he wanted her to uh, basically play dead and impersonate a corpse and that he could see her breathing, which was interfering with his level of enjoyment. <clears throat> So wait a minute. This guy thought he could stick his penis in a girl and she was going to be able to play dead and not even act like she was breathing? Boy, uh, if, if I had, a, if I had a, a dollar for every time that had been my experience. But the thing is, it's, I, I didn't want it to be that way. You know? Yeah, I guess I've never ran across that one. I was yet. just like, nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing here. So I get to a small claims court. You should be today. happy that she couldn't, you know. That's what I'm saying. I get to small claims court today and there sits Arthur Long. And he's by himself, and he has a shoebox on his lap with all of his exhibits for court in it. This guy what has the not hell only do you bring him for exhibits. This guy had—I mean, it was like watching a courtroom drama on television. He had posters with the receipts blown up on them and pasted up. He had—he um, had introduced. Dennis's autobiography into evidence. He had read through the autobiography and cited certain passages that he felt like. I mean, look. The spoiler alert: the guy's a little off his noodle. Okay. He, well, but, hold on. I got yeah. that when you told me he wanted to pay extra to kiss the prostitute. Yeah, and, and and then of course wanted her to act as though she was already deceased. Yeah. So uh, you know what? Out of the two things, 
Wanting to kiss a prostitute to me is weirder. <laughs> well, this guy opens up his shoebox once we're in front of the judge, and he's got, no exaggeration, like eight or nine exhibits. And he's putting them up as he presents his case in front of the court with the receipts and all this sort of thing. He was asking for the remaining $300, or I'm sorry, $500 to be refunded, plus court costs, and get this, the guy drove all the way from Long Beach, California to litigate this. He was asking to be reimbursed for travel expenses at the rate of 19 cents a mile in court. Okay. So he goes through his presentation and talks about how he was... Is he uh, retired? It seems like he has a lot of time on his hands. Boy, time on his hands he definitely has. I don't know what all's going on in this guy's life, but uh, he... I mean, he even in, in his little briefcase, he even had a book that I saw the uh, the title of. It said something like "How to Win at Small Claims Court." Like I gave it to the guy, he was really prepared. I mean, he had all his arts and crafts projects together. He'd done his research. I mean, I'm a you know uh, I did, I I uh, I don't know, maybe I've mentioned this before on the show, but but had I not taken this strange career path that I have, I would have been a lawyer. It was really the only other thing I was interested in doing. So this was like uh, fantasy camp day for me. I mean, this is one of the most fun days I've ever had working at this place, was getting to go and litigate a case in small claims court against a guy like this. And I got to sit at the counselor's table, you know, with the water pitcher and the microphones and everything, get sworn in. So he presents his case. So I, uh, I stand up and I, uh, you know, I, I, I take inventory of the room. I think about the crowd I'm playing to, Frank. You know, I think, okay, small country town. The only other item on the docket was some guy who was trying to procure a title for an abandoned boat. So this is the kind of case that they're used to hearing up there at the Beatty Courthouse. So it's the, uh, the old-timey judge and his uh, matronly lady court reporter. I would love to see what was going through her poor head. Yeah. Have to, uh, oh, her face was so this. red. Her face was so red. Uh, so especially at the point where uh, our general manager had to testify as a witness and say to the judge, Your Honor... Um, anything uh, that involves uh, kissing or, for that matter, simulated necrophilia is considered a specialty party, and that's a premium price. And the judge just looked at her and said, what? <laughs> like, you're blowing my mind, lady. Like, you could tell the judge had never heard a bunch of this stuff before. So I get to get up and give my presentation. Now, here was my, uh, I know you're a fan of my analogies. So here's the one Huge. I offered the judge. I said, Your Honor... Let's say I'm a restaurateur, and you come into my restaurant. You're going to look on the menu. You're going to give your order to uh, my waitress, and my obligation is going to be to serve you the food that you ordered. Uh, if I don't serve you the food you ordered, then uh, I am defrauding you. But if I serve you the meal that you ordered, you consume it, and an hour later, you're debating yourself as to how much you actually enjoyed it, that's really on you. That's not on the restaurateur. He met his obligation by serving the meal. I said, not only that, this uh, client ran an initial charge for $500. Then he went back and ran another charge for $300, tantamount in that analogy to him placing an order for appetizers and then going ahead and ordering an entree. 
and the judge right. is nodding. I can tell at that point I've got the judge thinking. He's, hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, there was a little back and forth with uh, Mr. Long over there who kept trying to uh, in- insist that he was not given what he paid for. But uh, I said to the judge, listen, any manner of sexual activity is something that is charged for. Uh, by his own admission, they engaged in some type of sexual activity, although so it he might had, be. Let's, uh, I guess to be blunt, did he have penetration? Sure. They were going at it? Well, it would seem that there may not have actually been that, but that there, uh, it was disputed that there was some form of oral sex. Uh, he he admitted that the there love was of God. Do not tell me he gave her oral sex. <laughs> please, please, right now, if you tell me this guy put his mouth oh. on her mouth is already appalling me. But if he put his mouth, <laughs> well, it oh. was it was at that point, Frank, that the judge raised his gavel, brought it down hard on the bench, and said emphatically, "Case dismissed." Nice. I felt great today. And uh, poor Mr. Long gathered up all of his exhibits in defeat and uh, sulked out of the courtroom. Now, he is entitled to an appeal. And that's what I mean. He needs to be put on a list. (laughs) Because he is one weird cat. Yeah, yeah, he really is. That's what I'm wondering is if now he will appeal this because I imagine he's going to get a certain you know number of uh, appeals. I know that the balance of the Supreme Court is already in question with our November presidential election coming up. I mean, you want to talk about just adding another wrinkle to that already uh, hotbed issue. Uh, who knows how far this thing could go. But let me just say, I'm up for the challenge. I'm ready to uh, return to uh, my role as legal counsel, and I really really enjoy it. I'm so f- glad that I had been watching the uh, ESPN OJ documentary all you week what because I, I really right had my dream team mentality mindset going. What I do you mean? a strong necessity for yeah. us to figure out how we can get Arthur Long yeah. on the podcast. Oh, I want to understand okay. this human right. being. Okay. I want to see here the psychology of what yeah. makes this guy tick. I, I'll tell you what I will do. I will reach out to him. Now, keep in mind, uh, I handed him a sound defeat uh, today. So, you know, this would be a little, uh, you know, I, I don't know if uh, Hen and Burrell was real excited about the offer of coming on T.J. Dillashaw's podcast the day after uh, he was finished in the octagon, well, but maybe let we let a week or so. A sure, yeah, yeah. Let his wounds heal, and uh, I will reach out and see about uh, the possibility of him coming on the podcast. I think you're right. I think he'd make a great guest, and I think you know I'm so close to the issue. I think it would be important to introduce you as more of an impartial party to ask the the questions that should be asked uh, of him. But uh, it was it was really really something today. And uh, I, you know, I mentioned that uh, that OJ documentary. Have, have you have you guys watched this at all? Yet. This thing. Okay, I know a couple of weeks ago I was telling you about how great the FX series about OJ was. So you know, this whole week ESPN has been doing this five part documentary on the. It's like the making of OJ, and it's so in depth. I mean, each episode is like a movie. It's like an hour and a half long, but it needs to be. They're telling you and talking to you not only about the OJ case, but 
everything going on at the time, the Rodney King riots, you know, the civil unrest, just everything going on. And I was thinking to myself, because people have been watching this. This thing has, has taken the nation by storm. People have been watching this, and I'm getting tweets, Frank. People want to hear the OJ tapes. So I'm, I'm saying formally today on uh, the Phone Booth Fighting podcast, you know, I have hours of tapes where I've interviewed OJ Simpson. And uh, the most recent uh, hours of those interviews were only about a month before he got uh, uh, caught and arrested and all that here at the Powell Station uh, Casino or where was it? Sunset Station? Powell Station. Powell Station Station that uh, sent him to prison. I've got the tapes. What I'm going to do the next week or so is I'm going to go through those and uh, pull together just some of the highlights, and we will play them here on uh, Phone Booth Fighting over the next uh, couple of weeks. We'll play you some of the audio of me interviewing O.J. Simpson. You can listen to him, see what you think. I talked to him about every aspect of his case. Uh, there wasn't any question that was off limits. Uh, he, uh, he answered every, every question I had. So uh, we'll go through uh, some of that. Would you like to hear that? Would you no, like, we'll sit and do that and, and discuss it. So, uh, you know, I, uh, let me just say this. Uh, the outcome uh, for O.J. Simpson and uh, Dennis Hoff, the proprietor of uh, the, the, the Alien Cat House and the Love Ranch Vegas and the Bunny Ranch, was the same exoneration in their high-profile trials. But I'll tell you this. By having me represent him uh, today, Dennis Hoff saved an awful lot of money. It, it wasn't the uh, it wasn't the kind of tab that that Johnny Cochran led Dream Team ran up. I was a bargain today. <laughs> it was so much fun. I actually recorded the audio on my phone. It, the whole thing lasted about an hour because the guy went on and on and on. But. Um, I haven't, I mean, I came straight here from there, so I haven't even really had time to listen to the audio. I knew we needed to tape an episode. I may, let me, I'm going to go through this audio, and if it's decent audio, I might play a few clips next See, week or I so. I got a question for from you. From the trial, yeah. This just occurred to me because you said the girl ran the time down. Yeah. When a person goes into a brothel, mm-hmm. they don't pay for experience, they pay for time with the girl? Depends. That's up to you and the girl. Some girls will sell uh, by activity. Some girls will sell by time. So, but so yeah, happens, fairly okay, frequently. That's what I'm kind of leading mm-hmm. into the next question. Yeah. Um, uh, let's say our, our our gentleman goes into the thing, pays for a straight lay. Yes, as Arthur did. As Arthur did, and uh, our gentleman has uh, performance anxiety. Right. Uh, and is not able to perform and take advantage of his uh, his uh, purchase. Mm-hmm. Is there any kind of discount refund? Do they, or is the guy pretty much you know? No, uh, no, that's uh, that's on you. That's kind of like I, I served you the food, the plates at the table. Just because you can't eat it doesn't mean I didn't provide it. Yeah, that's right. Just because your uh, your 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 mouth suddenly isn't working, uh, your arm isn't firm enough to hold the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're not going to give you a to go box. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, I mean, you can imagine the only thing more horrific than that type of performance anxiety uh, that many men have experienced in the past would probably be being on the clock. You know, okay, well, you, you maybe you can uh, get this uh, worked out in the next 15 minutes or so, because other than that, you're, you're out of luck and out the door. 
So that's a little story from uh, uh, work. Thought I'd that's bring. That's something you. that fathers will not have to worry about because uh, and you have kids. Mm. You're on the clock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to have that much time in the bedroom with the wife without Between somebody slamming on the door. PTA somebody meetings. Somebody needs a glass of water. Little league practices. Uh, you think the kids are sleeping. Yeah. They're taking a nap. Yeah. They're always watching. Yeah. <laughs> they're I'm... waiting for you to shut the door. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, hope you enjoyed that uh, tale. And uh, like I said, if any of this audio from today is any good, I'm, I may bust this out the next uh, couple of weeks to uh, revisit. But uh, Is that legal? The audio didn't tell me not to. In fact, I took a photo of the, well, for one thing, I know the, uh, the transcripts are a matter of public record. In fact, Vice Magazine called me. Uh, they, are, they were given the exclusive on covering the trial today. And so uh, I was interviewed for Vice Magazine after the proceedings. And so I know that they put in a request for the, uh, for the trial transcripts and what has got to be the first ever Freedom of Information Act records request up there at the Beatty Courthouse, I'll betcha. Yeah. But uh, they'll, be, uh, they'll be getting those and presumably printing them on the Vice website. I did take a photo of um, the, uh, the sign on the uh, courtroom door as you walked in, and uh, these were their only rules. Please check in at Justice Court Office before entering courtroom. No shorts, halter tops, or tank tops allowed. Turn off cell phones. And then this one, Frank, shoes are required. <laughs> yeah. You think you might be living out in the sticks when they have to put shoes are required on the courthouse door? You know what? I'm pretty sure that same sign is on the municipal courts here. <laughs> really? Yeah. You just Sometimes... Uh, what we think is this common sense you're about yeah. to go stand in front of a judge <laughs> might be the time to go ahead and you know comb the hair back a little bit sure wear a clean shirt uh might be appropriate to you know to kind of look a little presentable uh sometimes it's just not as of a common uh, sense thought as uh, people would take it as you got guys showing up in tank tops yep uh and uh you know girls with uh, you know dressed inappropriately uh, in court i guess uh, someone's parents didn't tell them that uh you know, the judges don't really uh, find that uh, favorable. Not me. I was suited up today. Tie and all. I was looking the part. What do you do with your hair? I'll leave it as is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And when it used to be super long, like when it was down to my waist, I would like pull it back into a ponytail. But now you just got to kind of work with uh, what it is. Uh, even when I've gone to court for other people, yeah. just sitting in there as a, a guest. I make sure I'm wearing, I mean, I don't necessarily wear slacks, but I wear, you know, nice jeans, a button-up yeah. shirt, put on a blazer. Yeah. The uh, the the best part was at the end of the uh, proceedings, the judge goes, he goes, you know, he goes, I've been in law enforcement 28 years, and he goes, I learned a lot today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of a, a world that not, a, I would say not a lot, but... Obviously, the uh, brothels are standing there for a reason. Yeah. Uh, people are going. Yeah. But uh, if you're not somebody that frequences those establishments, I can see. I mean, so I ask questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's certain things I'm just, that's uh, kind of new to me. Yeah. But uh, I guess I was kind of blessed that uh, I've had uh, opportunities in the past uh, <laughs> without having to pay. Well, that's what I'm here for. You just watch from a safe distance. 
See, it's safe for me to just bring the stories over to your house. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Mrs. Mayor thinks about as close as I can get to this topic. That's right. uh, Your storytelling. That's as close as you need to get. Hey, uh, before we wrap up, a quick shout out to our friends uh, over at uh, the MMA Complex podcast. You know, we did their podcast uh, last week, and they wanted me to let everybody know that uh, the the episode, Frank, that you and I did with them is now up uh, in iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and YouTube. So look up... uh, uh, the MMA complex, great guys over there. Ask great questions, and that was uh, I thought it was a really good uh, good yeah, segment we did with them. Yeah, it was definitely time spent well. Yeah. yeah, hey, I'm the first one to tell people when you sit on a bad interview. It's, yep. Oh, especially if you've been at it as long as I have in life. Yeah. Like being in the, doing interviews, being a professional fighter, uh, I'm always happy when the the interviews are well thought out, and uh, you could tell that the uh, the person conducting it, the journalist or you know, the interviewee, or, or uh, knows what they're talking about. You yeah. Know, asking, you know, thought out questions. It makes it so much more entertaining than, you know, just someone dialing it in or phoning it in going, so, like you said, you know, uh, you have a book. Oh, the uh, generic questions? Yeah. Are you talking you know, about like so, when hey, they go. so tell me about your career. You know, so what's it like? Uh, so you're fighting so-and-so. Yeah. How does that make you feel? It's like, yeah. wow, you. What's it not. like to be in there? <laughs> you can care less about me being here right now. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, uh, not the case with our friends over at uh, MMA Complex. We had a great time doing the show with them. So our episode is up now. Look them up, uh, the MMA Complex, and Frank and I are their guests this week. Hey, uh, this coming Saturday, if you're in the Las Vegas area, uh, Tough Enough, the storied amateur promotion that uh, has had uh, such names as, as Ronda Rousey fighting in it before, before uh, she turned pro, they've been around Vegas uh, forever. We're going to be out there, Frank and I. They're going to be at the Thomas and Max Center, and Frank is going to be doing the color commentary on the fights with Forrest Griffin. Uh, so we'll be out there having a great time, and tickets are free. If you go to unlvtickets.com, if you're going to be in the Las Vegas area on Saturday, go there, get free tickets. I've actually got a stack of tickets uh, that I have not given away, so uh, I'll probably tweet out a location that I'm at near uh, the Thomas and Max Center on Saturday with those tickets. If anybody's around, in fact, if anybody's going to be in Vegas, if you want to just hit me up on uh, social media, uh, let me know, and I'll get back to you, and uh, we'll we'll get you some tickets to come out and see the fights while uh, while I've still got them because we'd love to have you come out there and join us. Uh, all those uh, social media coordinates are as follows. We're on uh, Facebook at Phone Booth Fighting. You can follow us uh, on uh, Instagram and Snapchat at Phone Booth Fighting. You can follow us on Twitter at Phone Booth Fight. He is on Twitter and Instagram at the Frank Mir. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Richard Hunter. And once again, uh, the podcast is available twice weekly now. Uh, we're doing two episodes, sometimes more with our mini episode phone calls, but uh, definitely uh, twice a week, posting up every Tuesday and Friday. Uh, when you uh, go to check out the podcast in iTunes, please click on the five stars. Give us a five-star review. If you have a moment, write, uh, write uh, a few favorable comments. We love to read those on the air, but absolutely the most important thing you can do for us above anything else is to tell a friend. Please spread the word about phone booth fighting. Tell a friend. Turn them on to the show. That's how we're going to grow this thing. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We know you will enjoy Friday's episode that is coming your way later on in the week. We really appreciate you being with us tonight. So, for Frank Mir, I'm Richard Hunter. This has been Phone Booth Fighting, and we'll see you again later on in the week. Everybody was Kung Fu